Coronavirus tried to kill me, and I tried to give up, but my wife kept me breathing and living, <laughs> so here I am. Like in the middle of it, I was, I was dying so much. I was laying on the couch, just languishing, and I'm like, babe, I'm, I'm just trying to give up. I'm trying to go home. I see Jesus. <laughs> I see him. Man, it was, it was nasty, guys, but hey, thank you guys so much for reaching out to me and texting me. Some of you guys reached out. I appreciate that so much, and uh, thanks for being such a great crew of people, a family. Um, I felt your support. I thank you for the prayerful support. Uh, but man, I am so glad to be back. And not only that, we're inside. This is amazing. Wow. So thankful. Well, uh, before I got the coronavirus, um, I made one of the biggest mistakes in my life. I didn't know it at the time, no, because in my mind, I thought I was being a good dad. Well, I clicked order, and I clicked order, but... I would put it together myself. This was on the Ikea webpage. I'm like, no big deal. I got a drill. I got a flathead. What else do I need? And, you know, I got some free time. So, I mean, what, what, what do I need? Like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour maybe? So, finally, the day comes where the package arrives. It's two massive boxes. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, and, and they're kind of heavy. And I'm like, all right, it's, it's all right, it's all right. I'm going to deal with this. So, I take these boxes upstairs into uh, what used to be my office, but is now my little girl's room. Um, I'm not mad about that a lot, but <laughs> I put the boxes inside and I unwrapped the package and I started to notice there's a lot of pieces here. There's a bag full of like nuts and bolts and screws this and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, man, all right, I'm just going to set my mind to it. And in an hour, I'm going to be done. <laughs> Open the instructions. And I came to realize that there's a little more to it than just opening it up. It was like, I thought it was like Lego. It's Ikea, right? Didn't they invent the Lego? So I thought you just put them together, and next thing you know, like it's done, and that wasn't the case, man. Um, okay, four hours later, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, I am glad <laughs> that they offer an option to have someone else put this together for you. So next time this comes out, I'm going to definitely have someone else put this together for me. I'm never going to make that mistake again. But let me tell you this. Um, one of the biggest lessons I learned putting together Ikea furniture, um, A, don't do it again, but the biggest lesson I learned is that if you follow the instructions as they are written, the process goes faster, it is better, and the product is what you would expect. I'm ashamed to admit that a couple times I tried to skip a couple steps. I thought, you know what? It says put this thing here first, but I mean, if I'm looking at this right, I could just do this thing and then bam, it's done. Couldn't do that. So not only did I take longer than I should have, but it was more complicated. And by the time it was all over, I was so mad. Uh, by the way, what did I build? I built this with, with, my, with the help of my wife and eventually my kids kind of chipped in so I wouldn't be there for the rest of my life. But I built this loft bed. So it's like from my, the top part is for my baby girl, uh, my middle baby girl, Carissa. And then the bottom, we shove Tabitha in there. She's in this box they call a bassinet thing. You know, you just shove her in there and just like try to hide her. <laughs> I'm proud of that, that furniture. But here's again the lesson for us. When you follow the instructions that the manufacturer provides, things go better, smarter for you to do that. If you try to just take the instructions out and do your own thing, especially with Ikea furniture, you're going to take longer, it's going to be more complicated, and you're going to end up hurting yourself in the long run. And that is exactly 
what most of us have done when it comes to the manufacturer, God's creation. How? In what way? Well, let me explain it like this. Uh, right now, in our current culture and, and history, we are at a place where we're saying, I don't believe God is even there, and if he was there, he would definitely want me to do what I want to do. If I felt like I was a guy attracted to guys, then I should pursue that. If I was a girl attracted to girls, I should pursue that. If I felt like I was actually a guy who was really a female on the inside, I should pursue that. And it continues. If I feel attracted to a thing as opposed to a person, I should pursue that. We're starting an entire series on dating in this particular section because it's going to have an impact on everything else we discuss. If we're unwilling to follow the manufacturer's instructions, you should not be surprised that your life is headed toward pain and heartache. I want to convince you tonight that to listen to God's instructions about male and female and relationships is so good for you and wise to listen to. If you want to do what I did with the Ikea furniture and try to skip some steps and do your own thing and kind of hack it to, to what you want, you're going to end up causing yourself frustration and hurting people around you. God is so wise. His instructions are so clear. And tonight, I need to, again, build a foundation for us to continue on for the next three weeks. So today and three, the next three weeks, we're going to talk about guys and gals. But we have to start here. We have to start with the manufacturer's instructions because the temptation for all of us is to follow our heart and your heart is desperately wicked and sinful. It's going to lead you astray. So instead of following your heart, I want you to follow God's instructions. And that's why Genesis chapter two is where we're gonna be headed tonight. This is gonna be our starting place, our foundation. This is where we're laying the concrete, where we're gonna have a lot of productive conversations in the future. But we have to start with the basics. We can't jump ahead without establishing some common ground. So follow with me to Genesis chapter two, where we're gonna look at God's blueprints. We're gonna see what he says is a man, what he says is a female, and what the, the interaction, the relationship between the two is supposed to look like. Genesis chapter two, starting at verse 18. And as you're making your way there, remember who's writing the book. We got five books that start the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five books are written by, traditionally, Moses. Moses writes these books as he's preparing to take Israel into the promised land. Now, you might remember that Israel struggled all along the way. In fact, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Things did not go well for them. But when Moses is comprising or compiling these books, he's doing so because he's trying to prepare these people. He's trying to help them. God is using Moses to say to Israel, when you enter the land, when you go into the promised land, here's how to be blessed. Here's how to live life well. Here's how to go into the land to take it and not be spat out. And among the first things that God gives them to help them flourish in this land is basic information about who they are as male and female and how they're to interrelate to one another. Hope you can see already that there's some commonality. There's some instructions here that make sense for us, even as we consider dating in the future. Genesis chapter 1, as you're looking at it here, we're at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, God details the days. Genesis uh, day 1 through day 6, he talks about creating everything uh, in, in the known universe. On day seven, God rests. Genesis chapter two is day six, slowed down and unpacked. Genesis chapter two is day six, slowed down and unpacked. God wants you to see um, how he went about creating male and female. And what he does with that is so important, guys. So, so important. Okay, take a look with me. Genesis chapter two, starting at verse 18. We're gonna read this, the first two verses. Genesis two eighteen. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, first of all, 
you should realize that everything up to this point, God said, it is good. Uh, he created the animals, it was good. He created the seas, it was good. And then he gets to verse 18 in chapter two, talking about uh, Adam. He says, it's not good that Adam should be by himself. And so God comes up with the idea to how to fix that. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Okay, so notice God identifies the problem. Adam, it's not good that you're alone. Adam doesn't know that yet, though. Adam is still just kind of figuring things out, and so God says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. You know those animals I, I created just a little bit ago? I'm going to have those animals come and present themselves to you, Adam, so that you're able to see, oh, look, uh, Mr. Goat, Mrs. Goat, Mr. Giraffe, Mrs. Giraffe. Adam's going to see all these things and come to the quick realization that something's wrong. Okay, so uh, he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. Man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The first and probably most obvious thing here that I want to point out to you is that God created something in creation that is, that is a design feature and not a defect. And in fact, what God does for Adam is something that you can resonate with. God points Adam and says, look at it, look at how amazing it is that there's a Mr. Hippo and a Mrs. Hippo, and doesn't it feel good to see them together, and it's awesome, but you don't have that, Adam. What God did for Adam is what he did for you. This is where we're going to begin. I want you to start with this point number one. I want you to know you were designed for relationship. Point number one, know you were designed for relationship. This is a manufacturer's design and not a defect. This is the way God has made you to experience life read about a, an, uh, a, a Romanian orphanage that the American Psychological Association studied. In fact, it's quite sad. The APA goes to this Romanian orphanage, and as they enter into this place, a sound startles them. Again, Romanian orphanage. The sound that startles these researchers is silence. They go into the orphanage and realize that there's no activity. They don't hear the kids making noises. They don't hear the babies crying for milk. They don't hear the babies crying for uh, the diaper to be changed. They hear silence. Why? Quote, the most remarkable thing about this room was how quiet it was, probably because the infants had learned that their cries were not responded to. These poor babies had learned early on that when they speak up, no one's coming to help them. They were alone. Now, the interesting thing is that the APA began to follow these infants as they grew up. And here, guess what? Here's what happened to them. The list of problems that stem from neglect reads like the index of the DSM. Poor impulse control, social withdrawal, problems with coping and regulating emotions, low self-esteem, pathological behavior such as tics, tantrums, stealing, and self-punishment, poor intellectual functioning, and low academic achievement. These are the results for these poor kids that were raised in a Romanian orphanage who experienced loneliness and never had anyone meet their needs. You were designed by God to be in relationship. Let's start with that main idea. There's two reasons that the text give us for why God does this. First one, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So the first reason God designs you for relationship is to combat loneliness. 
God designs you for a relationship to combat loneliness. This is the first thing God identifies. It's not good the man be alone. And then he reveals it to Adam. Now, here's an important feature, guys. Think about this. This is Genesis chapter 2, before Genesis chapter 3, where things go awry, where sin enters the picture. Think about this. God, in his word, Genesis chapter 2, says it's not enough for Adam to be related just to me. Does that strike you as odd at all? God, let me, let me put it differently. God says, I'm not enough for Adam. I have to create someone else for him. Think about that. That's massive. And the way I put it is provocative. But here's more along the lines of what, what's happening here. God is choosing to reveal himself to Adam, not only by saying, look, here I am, I'm God. He wants to reveal himself to Adam through a counterpart somebody else to come alongside with him. So he's saying, it's, it's not enough for you just to have you and Jesus alone and that's it. No, he wants Adam to see God through the creation of a counterpart. Now here's where I wanna get the big picture. God designed you for a relationship. Now, notice I'm not talking about male-female yet. I wanna point out to you, God designed you for a relationship. We'll get to the male-female thing part, but just suffice to say that this is where we must start. Uh, I, I was watching this TV show recently um, that I really enjoy. It's called Alone. They take these people, throw them on an island, and say, hey, survive by yourself. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, the results of some of their isolation, they, they record themselves, right? They're, they're recording videos of themselves being alone on this island. Um, the results of the isolation, some of the things that they record, extreme anxiety, anger, hallucinations, mood swings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The idea here is that you're not meant to be alone. Like, and time and time again, you know this, experience teaches you this, you're not meant to be by yourself. You're designed to be in relationship with other people to combat loneliness. Even God in perfection in the garden wants you to know this. Here's what I think that means for you, at the very least. Now, we're starting with the, the big, broad oversight here of saying you need to be in a relationship. But let's narrow that down quite a, a little bit here and talk about marriage. In the garden, God presents Adam and says, it's not good for you to be alone. The animals aren't enough. It's not enough for you just to have a, a dog that you like or a, or a cat. Who knows why you'd have a cat, but who knows? Yeah, not enough. Animals not enough. God, as the, 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 the divine being, he's saying, it's not enough that you and me relate. I want you to have someone else. Here's what I want to challenge you with. For everyone in this room, your default, your default assumption is that you are going to get married. Your default is God designed me to be married. This is where he wants you to go. And, and here's the thing. This is the default. It doesn't mean that for some of you, maybe God calls you to singleness, something exceptional. But the default is that you are looking forward to and preparing for marriage. Some of you might say, well, hold on a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says that there's a gift of singleness. There's a gift of, of not marrying. And that's true. There is a time and a place to say that there is a spiritually compelling reason why you would not get married. But your default, your default choice, your default good is to seek for and to be married to somebody. Now, notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this makes you a varsity-level Christian. I'm not saying that this is going to meet all of your needs. I'm not saying that this is going to be necessarily one of the easiest things you've ever, you've ever done. In fact, marriage is not that. But I am saying God has designed most of us to default to marriage. Young person, think about this. If God designed you for marriage, you need to be preparing now. Know that you were designed for relationship. 
The first reason why is to combat loneliness. The second reason why is to complement life. Complement life. Uh, not complement as in saying, hey, you look beautiful today. Complement to complete life, to combat loneliness and now to complete life. What do I mean by that? Well, notice that two times God says, I'm going to create a helper fit for him. Now, this is going to get to a place where it might be offensive to some of you. We're going to talk about that. God notices that Adam is lonely, and he says, I'm going to make a helper fit for you. Verse 18 and verse 20. I'm making a helper fit for you. And then Eve steps into the picture. So here's the issue here. And God sees Adam's loneliness, and then he says, you know what, Adam, let me create someone for you to be your counterpart, to be your helper, to be someone that you travel along life with who will, uh, who will be someone that is, the word is, helper. Now, ladies, you might say, well, hold on a second. Am I just designed to be some dude's help, helpmate? You know, I'm supposed to be his helper? Am I supposed to say that means clean his dishes, you know, wash his laundry? Not necessarily. But here's, here's something you ought to know. Psalm 33, 20. And Psalm 33, 121, God speaks of himself as Israel's helper. Same word. God talks about the woman as a helper to the man. God talks about God himself as a helper to Israel. And so understand here that the term helper is not meant to be derogatory. It's not meant to demean or devalue women in the least. In fact, what God's pointing at here is that the two together are better than the one like peanut butter and jelly, like yin and yang, Batman and Robin, socks and flip-flops. Together, the two are better than the one. And so God wants you to see that uh, being in relationship combats loneliness and complements life. So here's, how, here's an experiment I want to try on you guys. To see what I'm talking about, it's better for you to experience this. A simple easy application for you with this to say, how do I understand that complementing of life is one of two things. I'll give you an option. You can either observe a married couple, watch them interact, pay attention to the way that they interact among the crowd, pay attention to the strengths and weaknesses and observe. And you'll get a chance to see what it looks like to have a yin and a yang, a peanut butter and jelly, a complementary relationship. That's one option. Here's one I would prefer you to try. If you don't have male friends or female friends of the opposite sex, I guess I just put it that way. If you don't have opposite sex friends, I think you should try to pursue some. Because the more you interact with the opposite sex, the more you're going to see, oh, look how different we are. Guys don't care as much about hygiene as, as girls do. Girls love smell. No, that, that, I mean, that's a diss. It's just the truth, right? Don't care as much, as much, generally speaking. Girls are very different. They care about their smells and their hairs, and they spray things all over themselves. Sometimes you could smell a woman that's in the room before you even see her, right? It's like, oh, mom's home, you know? <laughs> I smell mom. <laughs> no, because she, she smells good. I'm not trying to diss your mom. I'm saying, your mom wears perfume. If you go home and you're like, dad's home, it's usually not a good smell. <laughs> that's cutting it real with you guys. Come on, you know, you know. The differences between us, though, and those are just silly differences, the differences between us are God designed to complement life. Like Lego blocks, they fit together. And when we're together, we're stronger and we're better. God designed us for a relationship to combat loneliness and to complement life. But that's not all. God didn't just design us for relationship. He went a step further. Look at Genesis 2, verses 21 through 23 with me. God designs uh, Adam and he says, I want you to now realize that you need an Eve. Here's verse 21. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. God's about to perform a surgical operation here, and so he anesthetizes him, puts him to sleep. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Now, literally, that word for rib means his side. So it may have been an actual rib. It may not have been. Uh, But as Christians, we look at this and we understand this to be actual history. God took something out of Adam's side and used that very thing to form and create Eve. Verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And then he brought her to the man. Now notice this language here. Uh, God is presenting her to Adam. It's kind of like what you notice at a wedding ceremony, right? As the father of the bride walks with his daughter down the aisle, he comes and he presents her to the man. And so what you're seeing in this imagery here is the very first marriage ceremony. God, as the, the, the father of the bride, brings the woman to Adam. Now imagine this for the first time, gentlemen. You are seeing a woman for the very first time, and she's perfect, Perfect not only morally, but perfect in a, uh, an attractive sense. Adam sees this woman that God designed specifically for him. So if God designed Eve specifically with Adam in mind, it's probably going to be everything that he ever dreamed and hoped for in terms of, of a woman. And so he sees her, sees her. And in verse 23, the man says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam breaks down into poetry here. If you're looking at your Bible, you'll notice that the wording in this is kind of tilted. It's not exactly parallel with the rest of the the chapter. And that's because this is poetic language. Now, here's here's what Adam's doing. When he says, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, he's not just saying, oh, look, she's a person like I am. That's true. But he's also noticing, look, she possesses the same qualities of strength and weakness that I have. The bone, think about this. When you die, your flesh wastes away, but your bone is still there for quite a while. So your bone represents the strength of humanity. The flesh part is the weakness. Your flesh disintegrates and becomes nothing. It becomes dust far quicker. So he says, she represents me. She is like me, and yet she's not me. She's my counterpart. She's my strength. She's my weakness. And essentially, he's committing to her. And then notice this. He says, she shall be called woman. Adam names Eve. At least he names her in a general sense. He names her. And in that same sense, he also, remember, he just named the animals a few minutes ago. So Adam has this unique role with her, names her. He calls her Isha because she was taken out of Ish. And in English, you have the same idea. A woman because she's taken out of man. Adam names her. God presents her to him. And all these things, what you're noticing is the echoes of the marriage ceremony, the beginning of it. And you're also noticing the inception, the beginning of God instituting gender roles. Point number two. Understand, gender roles are designed by God. Part of his blueprint, part of his instructions, part of his manufacturing of humanity. He creates a man, he creates a woman, and he begins already to show some distinction between them. Eve doesn't name Adam. Eve doesn't have Adam get presented to her. He's the one who receives her, and then he names her. What you see here is God showcasing male-female interaction. Cultural expressions of maleness and femaleness are complicated. I saw this magazine article recently 
And on the cover of it, very hoity-toity fashion forward kind of magazine, was a male celebrity that you would all know wearing a dress. And then within the magazine, you turn a couple pages and you see that he wasn't just wearing one dress, he was wearing several dresses. So you see this very masculine figure that is a, uh, an appreciated male model of sorts, and he's wearing dresses, frilly, you know, sequins and all these things, just very feminine dresses. And of course, Vogue is making a point. Vogue is saying, look, your conceptions of male and female are flawed. Let's expand our horizons and think about what it could be and what we want it to be. Now, here's the complicating factor with that, guys. Is this wrong? If one of y'all showed up wearing a dress, is that wrong? If, if this guy wants to continue wearing a dress, is that wrong? Well, the question, of course, then becomes, well, how do you define right and wrong when it comes to cultural attire? Is masculinity and femininity just a cultural concept, or is it something that God defines? Well, here, here's, the, here, here's the answer. Here's the answer, and, and, it's, and it's a both and. How do we define male and female? Well, first of all, we've already established God says this is a man, this is a woman. God defines male and femaleness, but cultural expressions of masculinity and femininity work together with God's word to define the parameters of male and female. Here's what I mean by that. In our culture, for a guy to wear a dress, inappropriate. You're sending the signal that that doesn't fit what God has designed. But if I were to wear a kilt in a different land, in a different country, not a big deal. Basically the same thing. That's a skirt. It's a male skirt. But in that land and in that, in that country with those people, that's not a big deal. That still represents masculinity. So when God speaks to gender roles in our culture, I can't broad brush stroke and say, well, this is exactly what you should do here and this is exactly what you should do there. But what you should do is respect the gender roles that God has designed and from those places say, okay, how do I interpret it? How do I apply that to my, my culture? So what, is it wrong to wear a dress? I would say, yeah, you shouldn't wear a dress because it sends the wrong message. It sends a message that I am gender bending. I, I am a male, but I am, I'm okay with being a female here. I'm okay with presenting myself as a female. And in fact, here's something for you to write down. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. God designs gender roles. Now again, I'm not saying that God's going to give you a prescription as to exactly what you should wear, how you should dress, what you should say, but he does give parameters. And that starts with simple things like this. The gender roles are, are thusly. First, God designed men to lead. Gender role, God designed men to lead. Again, she's presented to Adam. Um, Adam, uh, she's made from Adam, so she's a derivative from Adam. Again, no less, no less equal, no less valuable, but she comes from Adam. Adam names her. God presents her to him. She's a helper made for him. All that leads us to understand that God designed men to be in a position of leadership. Now, here's where I know this is complicated for you guys because you've heard about mass, or toxic masculinity. You've seen people, men particularly, abuse their role and seduce young women or, or uh, abuse them by uh, by doing awful things or hanging their career over their head and saying, if you don't do this particular act with me, I'm not going to promote you. I'm not going to put you in the movies or whatever else. I understand the natural knee-jerk reaction for, for you young ladies, and even some of you guys, to say, no, that's not right. We should be egalitarian. Everyone has equal rights. Everyone has equal access. We're all the same. We all possess the same value. I get that. 
So when I say that God designed men to lead, I understand that that might be a bit off-putting for you, but that's no less the case here. Think about that. Again, God presents Eve to Adam. This is how God designed the whole thing to work. This is his instructions about how life works. He presents her to Adam. Adam names her. She comes from his rib. So she comes from him and she's for him. God didn't look at this and say, well, it's because Eve is just this, you know, dirty rag. I'm just going to throw her in for Adam's enjoyment. No, God designs both of them in his own image. But even in that imagery, God puts Adam in the place of the driver's seat. I want you to not disparage authority. I want you to not disparage, especially male authority. Young men, hear me on this. Hear me on this. If God designed you to lead, especially a wife and someday a family, which I already told you, you should assume you're going to be married unless God gives you specific spiritual direction. Otherwise, if God designed you to lead young men, you should be leading yourself now. Young men, lead yourself now. Grow, mature, fight to lead yourself. Because let me tell you this, young men, no young self-respecting woman in this room is ever gonna trust herself to you if you can't lead yourself first. No young woman's gonna wanna have kids with you if she doesn't see in you a mature, godly manhood that radiates confidence to her. And that's the thing. When we think about leadership in the world, you see people that are uh, lording over people with leadership. They're, you know, they're uh, abusing their position. They're not doing it as a means of service. They're doing it as a means of service to themselves. Let that not be you. God designed you young men to lead, but that leadership is a responsibility that will cost you a ton in self-sacrifice. And we're going to get to that in a second, but let's just start with the idea here. God designed men to lead. Young lady, look for a man that you respect enough to let him lead you. We'll define more about what that leadership looks like in the consecutive sermons in the series, but let's just start with that. God designed men to lead. Should be no surprise then that number two under this, under this point is God designed women to follow. Gender roles are designed by God and God designed men to lead and two, God designed women to follow. Now, I should say this again with emphasis. If you're looking at your physical Bible or you got your electronic Bible on, look at Genesis 1.27. Real quick, Genesis 1.27. I need to make a crystal clear point so that no one misunderstands this. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Notice the change here. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27 shows that God designed males and females in his own image. Both of us sexes represent God's image in fullness. In fullness, in totality. Young ladies, you don't need a man to possess the image of God. Young men, you don't need a woman to possess the image of God. Both parties, both sexes, equally image God. Each have significance and value that make them equal before God in their, uh, in their essence. Equal before God in essence, but distinct before God in role. Again, God designs men to lead. God designs women to follow. And here's the, here's the thing, guys. Um, inequality in role does not mean inequality in value. President Biden is greater authority than President, uh, Vice President Harris. He's got greater authority. He's got more social service, not social service, uh, secret service guys protecting him. Um, different role, 
no different in value. See, here's the thing. God is not interested in unlimited equality among us. And you can just look around and say, some of us are taller, some of us are shorter, some of us are stronger, some of us are weaker. God designs inequality all over the place. So it should not surprise us when he, in the very beginning of human creation, he designs an unequal relationship. But again, think about the fact that God himself submits and serves Israel. If God himself puts himself in the place of helper as the God of the universe, again, young lady, please hear me, because you're in the role of helpmate does not demean or diminish your value. Equal value. Equal value, different role. So young lady, here's what I would say to you. In the same way that I told the young men not to, not to disparage authority, I don't want you to disparage submission. And I know the temptation because everything around you right now, all the rhetoric and the media and uh, the, the things that you're being fed is, look, I'm a woman, I'm in charge, I'm amazing. No man gonna tell me what to do because I am a woman, hear me roar, right? You see the, the uh, uh, it's escaping me right now, that, that image of the woman with the, you know, the arm and she's like, ah, oh, I'm amazing. And uh, Fine. I'm not saying women can't be strong. I'm not saying women can't do amazing things and that God hasn't equipped you with intellect and emotion and will that gives you, again, uh, value. But just because God puts someone in the place of submission does not mean you should disparage it. In fact, you should highlight this and see this as a good design of God. This is God's wisdom on display for your good. And young lady, ask any woman who's married to a godly man if she does not love the role that she and her husband play. Ask any godly woman who's got a godly husband if she does not love submitting to his leadership. Not saying he's perfect, but a godly woman under the leadership of a godly man flourishes. She becomes so much more beautiful and radiant than she could ever be by herself, yielding power over her husband. God designed you for relationship. God designed roles. God designed men to lead. God designed women to follow. But together... God designed them both to reflect Christ and the church. God designed him to lead. God designed her to follow. God designed both to reflect Christ and the church. Interesting thing about this is that God designed male and female to both point to this ultimate reality of Jesus' great love for the church, the bride for which he would die for. We'll talk more about that in two weeks but let me just say one quick thing about this. In Ephesians 5.32, Paul says, this mystery is profound. He's talking about the mystery of marriage. He's saying, and I'm saying that marriage refers to Christ and the church. Your roles, image and picture, Christ's love for his church. And in the same way that the church can't decide one day, look, I'm gonna be the man in the relationship. I'm gonna be the leader. Church can't do that. In the same way that the church and Christ can't, change relationship roles, neither should or can the husband and the wife. So as you think about your future, think about your future, about who you're going to date, who you're going to marry, and anticipating that, you've got to be ready to say, look, my life is going to be submitted to the instruction manual that God designed for me. And when I do that, that's when I know I'm going to flourish. I'm just going to be best for me. I'm going to be uh, blessed in that role, even if it's hard. God designed you both, male and female, to reflect Christ in his church. The last two verses here, verse in Genesis chapter two, 
are the, I, uh, are the, the verses that speak specifically to the marriage covenants. Take a look with me here. Verse 24 and 25, therefore, this is so after Adam pronounces his commitment to Eve, Moses comments and he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Okay, again, men notice this. The men are charged with the responsibility. Men are the ones who are breaking off ties with their nuclear family and they're starting a new family with their wives. So men are the ones leaving and cleaving, leaving this father and his mother and now he's forging a new relationship. He's holding fast to his wife. And those two shall become one flesh. 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In these final two verses here, you have the, the concluding picture of what it looks like to be in a right, good, godly, marital relationship. They're sharing everything. Adam leaves everything to cleave to Eve. And not only that, together they're forging a one flesh union. Now, obviously, there's a sexual element to that. Scripture is talking about the fact that they're, in, they're coming together in consummation of their marriage. But it's more than that. It's not just that they're having a physical interaction. They are coming together as a husband and wife to comprehensively share their entire lives. Their spiritual, emotional, physical, everything's being shared together under this new relationship that they have. That's what marriage is. That's what the marriage is supposed to be. And then Scripture says they're both naked and they're not ashamed. Look, nudity is a weird thing in our culture right now. But generally speaking, if, if, you're, if, if the compass in your head is working right, being naked in front of people should freak you out. Like you have nightmares, right? When you're thinking, oh man, I don't want to be like in my underwear at school. That's a nightmare situation. And if you like that, you're a weirdo. Usually, usually that's like, we have this weird, like, oh, don't look at me kind of thing. You know, that, that's, that's normal. That's normal. Because after the fall, after sin entered the picture, we no longer could trust each other. But in this element here, in this time frame, Adam and Eve are coming together and they're saying, man, I, I trust you. I'm not afraid of you. In fact, I'm so secure in my relationship with you that I could be the most vulnerable possible and I'm not afraid of that. I'm naked, I'm not ashamed. I've got nothing to hide. I'm not secretly thinking bad thoughts about you. No, we're together in this relationship and it's amazing. Man, this is the way things are supposed to be. Point number three, embrace God's design for human flourishing. Embrace God's design for human flourishing. So just to recap here, we've been saying, okay, uh, first of all, we should know we were designed for a relationship. And we should understand that gender roles are designed by God. And now we're saying God's design for human flourishing is relationships that lead to marriage and marriage that is defined by God. Of course, today, marriage is defined by a lot of things, right? You could say, I want to I marry a this or a that. It doesn't even have to be a human at this point. I want to marry same sex, opposite sex. I want to marry a thing, like, I, I get it. Like, right now, everything's being rewritten. But for you, young person, let me plead with you. Embrace God's design. Follow his instructions because that's what's going to lead to your flourishing. God designed it this way. He's the manufacturer. What's God's design? Three quick observations, and then we're going to wrap it up here. God's design, first of all, is marriage between man and woman. Okay? God's design is marriage between man and woman. Notice, Adam and Eve are male and female. God designed marriage between man and a woman. So what I'm getting at, just to be abundantly clear here, are opposite sex relationships. Scripture makes it clear in this particular passage that to pursue a same-sex relationship with somebody is against his design and against your flourishing. 
you will struggle in your life if you pursue same-sex desires with other, other people. If you allow yourself to give into that, and we're gonna talk more about that next week. Next week, we're gonna talk about transgenderism and alternative desires. So tune in next week as well. But this tonight, I just wanna make a quick point here. Looking at the text, God designed a male and a female. That's his on-purpose design for you. Which means when you think about marriage, you should say, I, want, I, should, I should approach opposite gender relationships. In fact, uh, if you have your Bible open, look at uh, Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw everything that he had made And behold, this is the only day he says this, it was very good. God sees male-female relationships, he sees everything he just put together, he says, man, this is awesome, it's very good, male-female. Marriage between a man and a woman, opposite sex relationships, are first of all, God's design for marriage. Please, young person, don't underestimate your grasp of this truth. Neither overestimate the fact that the culture wants to undermine that very truth. I'm pleading with you to believe this and to embrace this as God's good design for you. Two, God's design for human flourishing is marriage between only one couple. God's design for human flourishing is marriage between only one couple. Of course, I'm referring to a couple things here. First, the intimate relationship is a one flesh union, which means that you shouldn't try to be polygamous. I'm, I'm so, it, it kind of words me out to even be talking about this, but uh, there are legal pushes in pockets of our nation that are trying to get polygamy legalized. Now, now follow the logic here, though. If relationships are all about just consent, like, hey, you know, you want to be married, you want to be married, you want to, let's all be married. If it's just about consent and love, then of course I understand why people would be pushing forward to get this on the legislation. But again, if you're looking at scripture and you're letting God be God and define right and wrong, we're following his instruction manual, right? Remember the Ikea uh, bed thing. He's got the right instructions. We're trying to follow that. And I'm saying, these are the instructions. If you go off and do your own thing, you can do it. It's possible. But is it going to cause you heartache and difficulty and pain in your life? Absolutely. Marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman. And it's meant to be between only one man and one woman. So that rules out polygamy. And of course, you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Rod, didn't God let polygamy kind of run rampant in Scripture? I'll say, yeah. God chose imperfect, sinful men to, to bring his covenant through. But notice every time polygamy enters the picture, does it ever work out well for the man who does this? Never. Or the women. The women fight amongst each other. The women have such a difficult time together. I mean, Scripture in no way presents that as the ideal. Again, we're looking back to the very beginning here. We're going to say God made one man and one woman to be one couple for life. Which also brings up the idea that divorce, which is super high and super common. I I want to say something really quick about this young person because this could save your, your marriage. Do not marry someone that you have not, that you do not have confidence is a Christian. Do not marry, don't pursue a relationship with someone that you don't believe is a Christian. And, and Lord, I, I hope that you are a Christian. If you pursue someone that is just that he's handsome or she's beautiful or she's got, she's got a lot of money or he's got a lot of money, you pursue someone for the wrong reasons. When those things disintegrate, your relationship disintegrates, obviously. And yet so many people miss this. Also, people marry for love, right? I've got these great feelings about you, and so I'm going to pursue you. You're everything I ever wanted. But as soon as those feelings leave, they're like, I don't want this relationship anymore. It's too hard. 
you know, we're too different. This is too complicated. I don't want to, I don't want to relate to you. But scripture presents these two beings, Adam and Eve, as together in one flesh union for life. Whoever you marry, young person, I hope that you'll do premarital. I hope you'll get wise counsel. I hope you're a Christian and that they're a Christian because only by the bond that holds you together in Christ can you sustain a healthy, God-glorifying marriage. Could say more about that. We're not. The third design for human flourishing. I already said this. (laughs) One, marriage between a man and a woman. Two, marriage between only one couple, not plural. And three, marriage permanence. Unbreakable covenants, giving yourself fully to the marriage covenant. And in fact, I would say, even right now, young person, even right now, between you and the Lord, decide right now, right now, to stay in your marriage. But what about if they're, you know, what if they leave me or, or what if, you know, they're abusive? Hey, there's, there's exceptions to the rule, but the exceptions are just that. They're exceptions. Right now, between you and the Lord, as you think about dating and relating in your relationships with others, you got to say to yourself, look, I'm going to be committed to my marriage. And that begins with being committed to your love and your walk with Christ. I told Kristen for my birthday, I wanted Ghirardelli brownies. Can't wait. And I love my wife. <clears throat> But on occasion, she's tricked me where I think I'm eating like spaghetti and it's not, it's squash. So I'll put it in my mouth. I'm like, oh, you, know, you tricked me and I was deceived. She'll, she'll substitute ingredients in things and I'm like, I, like, sometimes I know and sometimes I don't. But when I find out, I'm so mad. It's like, she's like, but you're so healthier now. Like, you can eat this healthy thing. And I'm like, I don't want to eat the healthy thing. I wanted the fat stuff. I wanted the terrible, ugly, good. Okay, so I told her with the Ghirardelli brownies. I said, sweetheart, I want Ghirardelli brownies. That would be phenomenal. And please don't substitute anything. I want the buttery, chocolatey, sugary goodness. It's my birthday. She promised she, wouldn't, she would not substitute ingredients in my, my, my brownies. God has provided a recipe for you, a recipe for humanity to have the best possible human experience in relationships. Don't substitute ingredients. Don't switch things out. Follow the recipe on the box. Let God tell you what to do. And I promise you, it's going to be better than if you try to put something else in the, in the ingredients. Try to substitute some coconut oil instead of the vegetable oil. Try to put the margarine instead of butter. Don't do that, weirdo. Follow the recipe on the box. Follow what scripture says. Follow God's instructions and let him tell you how to have a great relationship. Relationships and gender gender rules are God's design. Follow his lead and be blessed. Let's pray. 